Welcome to this week's episode of the North Bible Church Podcast. Now, let's join our pastor as we open God's Word together. Thank you, Wes. Great to see all of you here this morning. Thank you for being here. And welcome to our first uh, annual North Now message. You may be thinking to yourself, what in the world is North Now? Uh, The best way I can explain what North Now is and what we're trying to accomplish this morning is kind of to compare it to a state of the church-like message address, almost like a state of the union. It's not my favorite terminology to use, but I think it makes sense to most people when I say that. Maybe that makes sense to you. But really what we're doing today is we're going to take a look at over the past year or so and then talk about where we are now and talk about where we believe God may be leading us over the next year. And in doing this, what we're doing is kind of establishing an annual message so that we'll do a North Now message every year doing the same kind of thing where we'll talk about, okay, what did we see God do over this past year? Where do we feel like God is leading us over this next year? And it'll be kind of an annual thing. So we're going to start doing this this morning and uh, this Sunday. And I think one of the things that, uh, you, as we look at this, I mean, what a, what a, uh, what a great year to start this off, right? <laughs> this being the first one. Uh, I don't know what else we can say about this past year that hasn't already been said. I mean, as somebody who writes and speaks for a living and uses words, I'm all out of words. I don't even know how to describe it. I think we've described it in many different ways. So what I want to do instead this morning is, if you'll allow me to, I want to be a little bit honest with you and make a personal appeal to you this morning. Is that okay? You guys feel, is that okay? I feel like some of us are still waking up this morning. Is that okay? All right. So remember you agreed to that because there's no turning back now. But I want to share with you a little bit about this because I think that uh, what I have been through, what I've experienced, what our church leadership has experienced in many ways, colors how we see this past year and really what we believe God is leading us to and God is directing us to over the next year. First, I'll say this. I believe that in nearly 20 years of church ministry, I can say almost without a doubt that this past year has been the most difficult year that I have ever faced in church ministry. And I know that's probably not a huge surprise to hear because many of us probably had very difficult years, the most difficult that we can remember in a long time. But I also think that in a lot of ways, it's been really difficult in church, in particular, in particular for church leaders. In fact, the recent Barna study showed that nearly 90%, or excuse me, 29% of pastors considered quitting church ministry over this past year. Think about that. That's almost a third of all pastors considered quitting church ministry completely. Not just leaving their church, not just stepping down for a different role, leaving church ministry altogether. And in fact, a large portion of those actually did end up leaving church ministry, sadly. Some churches closed down as a result. And of course, what made things even more challenging here at North as we think about our situation is that we added the challenge of having a new lead pastor come in a few months before a global pandemic kicked off. So I come in, I'm here for a few months, and we kick into this global pandemic, and the first thing we're doing is asking you to trust us, asking you to trust me in many cases, with how we're responding to this thing that nobody's ever seen before. And I'm asking you to trust me with a church that you love, a church that many of you have been invested in for years, about things like how we navigate through COVID responses, how we navigate through shutdowns, safety policies, and then on top of that, a contentious election year, a year with civil civil and social unrest. And in many ways, it felt like the perfect storm of all these difficult things coming together as a church, and the entire time, we're saying, just trust us as much as you can. And these are things of really big consequence. 
I mean, what you decide and what church you decide to be a part of, your faith, your spiritual growth, your family, uh, how your family's impacted, how your family grows, how your family's discipled, and where your church community is, these are all big issues, some of the biggest issues in life. And so you need to be able to trust your church leadership and your pastor with those things. And yet we were in a position, of course, where many of you had to make, even though it wasn't blind trust, had to make a choice to trust me in particular. Because we didn't have that equity of trust that had been built up of years of me being a pastor here. In many ways, I was the new guy coming into a church that many of you have been a part of for several years, and you're asking the question whether or not I can trust this guy, whether or not I can trust this church leadership with some really, really consequential decisions. Now, all of which brings us back to the point here today. If you're here this morning and you stuck with us through all of this, I'm assuming that there's a level of trust that you've been able to build up with us or at least gift to us. And I want to say that I'm grateful for that. I don't take it lightly. It means so much to me and my goal is to steward that trust well and to faithfully build upon that trust relationship as we go forward. Because again, it's essential that you trust your church leadership and your pastor. And what I want to do in it with that is point us in a direction this morning that I believe that God wants us to be going as North Bible Church. And, and get this, I'm not saying this is where God is leading us, and so if you don't fully agree with this, you're disagreeing with the very words of God. I don't claim that. Uh, these are not the words of God, but these are. this is a direction that as your pastor, I feel like through prayer, scripture, reading, uh, spending time with the Lord, talking with others in the church, and just my experience in North uh, over the past year plus, that this is my best understanding of where God is leading us forward. And I think it's the appropriate time to talk about it as well. We're at a place in the life stage of our church where we've just come off, you know, earlier this month we had a wonderful Easter celebration. We welcomed back so many people we hadn't seen, maybe even since before COVID. Uh, we, we are in the process of looking for a new student pastor. Things are in motion there. And now we just had this wonderful Sunday last Sunday where we celebrated a handful of people being baptized, and there's a lot of energy that we're feeling right now. And at the same time, we're on, a, on more of a macro level, we feel like, at least, hopefully we're coming out of this pandemic on the other end and that things might be returning to normalcy uh, sooner maybe rather than later. And so it's time to renew our focus. And I think speaking of focus, this is one of those things that causes us to really jump back into understanding what it means to be the church, maybe even at a basic level. Speaking of focus, I was listening to a podcast recently uh, that featured Tim Keller. Many of you may know Tim Keller's name if you don't know who he is, because I quote him almost every single week in here. Um, he's a guy I quote more than anybody, because he's had a huge impact on my life. He has no idea who I am, uh, but through his writings uh, and, and his, his, his speak, speaking stuff, like stuff I've heard him talk about, he's had a huge impact on my understanding of theological implications of the church, pastoral ministry, cultural engagement, and those kinds of things. So I'm listening intently to this man that I certainly look up to in the Lord as, a, as an older brother in the Lord, and he's doing this interview on a podcast recently. You may know that Tim was recently diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. In fact, what he's found out is that it's actually terminal. With treatment and without a miracle from God, he has at best two years to live. And so he's on the podcast talking about what it looks like to be a 70-year-old man who all of a sudden his life is coming to an end. He knows he's got about two years left on this earth. And I was amazed by the way he talked about it because he didn't, you know, he wasn't 
He didn't talk about his bitterness or his anger or his sadness, though, though there were certainly probably some of those sadness feelings. He talked about what this has done for me more than anything is that it's brought, it's brought clarity to my life. It's brought things better into focus because what has happened is this sense of urgency has created in him this realization that every day, every hour of my life means something and I have to take account of it because I've only got two years left at the most. And here's a guy who, he can pretty much do anything he wants. I mean, speaking engagements, I'm sure he's lined up for all kinds of things that people want him to speak at. Publishers are beating down his door to write another book probably. Podcasts articles, all kinds of things. He's a very influential person, but he's also a pastor, a father, a husband, and a grandfather. And so he's got to weigh all those things together. And as I was listening to what he said, it struck me that I don't know if I could imagine being in his situation and how I'd respond, but I couldn't help thinking about what I would do if I were in his position, because what he presented as was a challenge. Think about this. If you had two years to live how much more would every hour, every day, every week matter more maybe than it does right now? So when it comes to church then, that's of course on an individual level, but when it comes to church then, as we coming back to this place, I think this is exactly where we are. We need a sense of urgency, a sense of focus going forward. It reminds me of a time when I was in church planting early in my ministry career several years ago. I think I've spoken of this before, but we started a church out in the city of Maricopa with 10 people. And what we realized is that with 10 people, if we don't grow and we don't reach people outside of our group of 10 people in the community, our church will never grow and will actually never be more than just 10 people. I mean, guess technically that could be a church, but in reality it wasn't the church that we felt like God had called us to plant. And so there was a sense of urgency with every Sunday, with every week, on whether or not we are actually reaching the people around us. It was some of the most difficult times of ministry up until this past year, but it was also some of the most rewarding and fulfilling things I have ever done in church ministry. Seven years I pastored that church. And it's that kind of focus that I want to draw us towards this morning, which I think is especially relevant for the church right now. You may have seen this, but a significant recent Gallup poll was released that's been making the rounds online that established for the first time or that found for the first time in American history less than 50% of people are members of some kind of faith community. Have you seen this? Did you see this? And as that, it's pretty big news. As that headline says there on the screen, this is the first time in American history that the membership of people of faith are in the minority that it's dipped below 50%. And they measure that by people who are members of churches, synagogues, and mosques primarily. Now while that certainly I think has to do with an increase in secularism in our culture, at the same time, it has a lot to do with people of faith who are followers of Jesus, who have decided not to be a part of the church anymore. And the question is then, are we positioned as a church I guess as an American church, but more specifically as North Bible Church, are we positioned as a minority to reach now what is the majority in our culture, which is people outside of the faith? Now look, if you ask people what they love about North Bible Church, I like to ask that question, by the way. People come through membership class, people that I meet, what is it that drew you to North? Love to ask that question because 
what you begin to see from my perspective is this is what north means to people. This is what we do well. And if you've ever asked that question or you've thought about that question yourself or talked with others, if you've been here for any amount of time, what is the answer almost every single time? We love the community here, right? We love it that it feels like family, that it feels like home, which is great. It's exactly one of the reasons why Katie and I were drawn to North as well. It felt like family almost from the first time we walked in as we were candidating. But I want to add a layer to this, though. Within three years, I want to hear just as many people saying that the reason that they love North is because North is a church that loves the world. Is because North is a church that is on mission. North is a church that loves the city of Scottsdale. North is a church that is reaching people who are far from Jesus with the gospel. But in order to do that, we need to change. Because if we're honest with ourselves, we're not doing a good job of that right now as a church. And as I've processed this this past year, I've asked God repeatedly, God, why is this situation popping up? It seems like we had, we've had some great times over this past year, some really difficult times, obviously, but some great times of blessing, some great times of what you might call comfort, where it felt like, okay, that's a difficult patch, but at least we've gotten to this, and now we can rest for a little bit. And it almost seems like as soon as we took a breath, something else came up, and we had to figure that thing out. And then we take a breath after that thing, and then something else came up. Over and over and over again, Pastor, and I've asked God so many times, Lord, what are you doing in this situation? What are you doing in that situation? I can't fully see it. But one thing that's begun to crystallize for me lately is God has shown me, I've been doing this to draw you closer to my heart. I've been drawing this to draw north, doing this to draw north closer to my perspective on this particular issue. That we are a church that's called out by the mission of God. One of my favorite quotes, Christopher Wright, I've quoted it in here before, it's not so much that God has a mission for his church, but that he has a church for his mission. You know, this whole process reminds me of a story in Scripture, the story of Jonah. I don't know how familiar you are with the story of Jonah. Probably many of us know the story of Jonah from the fish thing, like Jonah got swallowed by a fish. That's what I know about the book of Jonah. There's a lot more to the book of Jonah, though, if you haven't explored it, if you haven't studied it before. In fact, one of my favorite parts of the book happens in Jonah chapter 4. It's actually Jonah's scene with the plant that happens. And it's, really, and it's really this kind of way that God draws Jonah back to his heart by the end of the book. And let me set this up for us before we begin to read in verse 5 in Jonah 4. But because of this command, so what's happened in this, to this point before Jonah chapter 4 is that God has called Jonah as a prophet, an Israelite, to go to this land of Assyria, particularly the city of Nineveh. And he's called Jonah to go and preach to them and to call them to repentance, okay? And so Jonah runs completely the other way. And throughout this story, he disobeys God's call, and throughout this story, God's bringing him back, right? There's a shipwreck, Jonah's thrown over into the sea, he's swallowed by a fish, he's spit up by the fish, finally goes and preaches the message, and lo and behold, what happens in the city of Nineveh? But the Ninevites repent, and God shows mercy and grace on them instead of judgment. And so Jonah's upset about this because he hates the Ninevites. They are Israel's enemies. And so in 
chapter 4, verse 5, after seeing these people repent, Jonah goes up to a mountainside outside of the city, and he's basically praying that God would still bring judgment. God, pull back your mercy and grace. Judge those evildoers. Judge those pagans. Judge those enemies of your people. And this is where we pick up in Jonah chapter 5, or chapter 4, verse 5. And Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. And he sat in it under the shade till he would see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad about the plant. But when dawn came the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. And when the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, It is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, Do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, Yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. That's how I imagine Jonah saying that, very petulant. And the Lord said, You pity the plant for which you did not labor nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle. All throughout this book, Jonah has claimed, at least from his perspective, that, his, that when he wanted God to destroy the Ninevites, that he was doing the righteous thing. That he felt like this is where God's heart is on the matter. He should want to destroy those people. They're the enemies of Israel. The Assyrians, if you don't know about the Assyrians, ancient history tells us they were one of the most brutal people, one of the most brutal cultures in all of ancient Near Eastern history. And they were geopolitical enemies of Israel for a long time. And so when Jonah's upset about this. It's not just because he just doesn't like those people. They are sworn enemies of Israel. And so he feels like these pagan enemies, those people out there who are opposing your people, God, they must be enemies of you as well. They deserve to be destroyed. And so this whole passage, as this, this is how, the, by the way, this book ends with that question at the end in verse 11. This whole passage is about God, and really the whole book is about God graciously drawing Jonah back to God's heart on this matter. Telling Jonah, essentially, that is not my heart. Let me show you what my heart is. And so we see this kind of play out throughout this scene here. First, Jonah builds a booth or a shade covering to protect him from the heat. Now, this is crazy. Jonah's out on a mountain somewhere in what is modern-day uh, northern Iraq. So we know like, it's a climate similar to us, so we can understand sitting out on a desert mountain with the sun beating down on you. It's a really rough situation. But it also shows how much Jonah wants these, how much Jonah hates the Ninevites still. Right? That he's willing to sit out in the middle of the desert sun on a mountain somewhere just praying that God will destroy them like Sodom and Gomorrah. And so he builds for himself a little booth, which probably got like, you know, little desert plants to work with, which are not very significant, like branches that are dead, leaves that are dead. And the booth apparently is not providing a whole lot of shade. God sees this and provides a shade plant to grow up over Jonah. And Jonah's exceedingly glad about the plant because it brings him comfort, it brings him relief from the, sh from the sun, and it brings him all this shade. And he's still sitting there smoldering, waiting for God to do something about that city and those people. 
But that's when things really turn for Jonah. He enjoys the plant for a day, and the next day God appoints a worm to come and wither the plant, and then on top of that sends this scorching east wind, which if we've ever felt like a, a desert wind at like 115 degrees, it's, it's rough, right? And this is what's coming on Jonah. It gets so bad that he's basically suffering from heat stroke. He's out there, he's about to go faint, the sun's beating down on him, the wind's blowing on him, he's completely uncomfortable, he's suffering, and that's when he says to God he's angry enough to die. And at this point, we might be wondering exactly what God is up to. What is God doing? What is the point of all of this? Well, it's to give Jonah something more important than comfort. It's actually to give Jonah something more important than Jonah's health or well-being. It's to give Jonah something more important than his thirst for judgment against his enemies. It's to give Jonah God's heart, God's perspective. If you look back at Jonah chapter 4, you see the clear distinction between Jonah's heart as it's expressed and God's response as it's expressed. Jonah chapter 4, verse 2, a few verses before what we just read. This is what it says. It says, And Jonah prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is this not what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, to go to Spain. For I knew that you were a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. This is why I ran the opposite way. Because I hate those people and I didn't want them to see your grace and your mercy. And I knew this was going to happen. Contrast that with the, guard, with the heart of God. Jonah, should I not pity? The word pity can also be translated as compassion. Should I not have compassion for Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle. I love that part there. Make sure you save the cattle as well. But in the end of this, what we see is that Jonah completely missed the heart of God and he missed the mission of God because Jonah's posture was that of a man who wanted his opponents and his enemies defeated and destroyed rather than redeemed by the grace and mercy of God. There's an important lesson for us here because I have a sinking feeling based on what I've experienced and where I've been as a pastor, that we are a lot more like Jonah than we want to realize or admit. Personally for me, I see this troubling trend happening in the American church right now where we have become so obsessed with identifying our opponents and our enemies that we've lost sight of the mission of God in loving the world. And I say this because, look, even in the church, Things that never used to be controversial to talk about. I never thought I'd see the day where it was controversial to talk about peace and unity. And I've been told over and over again this past year, I talk too much about peace and unity. And I think that complaint is an indicator that the church is embracing more of an us versus them mentality than it is an us for the world mentality. And the worst part about it is that we, the people we want to identify as our enemies, are actually not our enemies according to Scripture, no matter who they are. Ephesians 6, 12, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. What does that mean? It means that we as Christians have one enemy, and his name is Satan. 
and his principalities. And he would love nothing more, actually, than to distract us from that fact and to convince us that the world that we are called to love are really our enemies instead. And unfortunately, I think he's doing a pretty good job of that right now. And I believe he's using fear and anger and bitterness to do it in our hearts. And many of us are living out of so much fear right now and allowing our favorite podcast or media personality to stoke that fear so that everyone possible around us is our opponent, everyone could possibly be our enemy, even people within the church who are our brothers and sisters. So someone says, man, I think there's some injustice going on and some people suffer from oppression. We should do something to help. That's because you're a Marxist. Well, it looks like we still have racism in this country and we should do something to help that issue. Woke mob, social justice warrior. Abortion is an issue that's been forgotten and we need to do something to help single mothers and protect the unborn. Toxic masculinity, you're a part of the problem, patriarchy. There are things I don't like about the BLM organization. Maybe we should examine where those beliefs might lead us. Racist. Often there's a small leap from those reactions to you are my enemy and you must be destroyed. We see that in our culture right now. Cancel culture. If you disagree with me, you have no right to exist. And cancel culture exists on the extremes of both political spectrums, by the way. Here's the point. Just like Jonah, this approach believes that we are doing God's will by eliminating all the quote-unquote enemies of God. It was pretty clear where Jonah was coming from. He was afraid of the Ninevites. He was angry at the Ninevites. He was bitter towards the Ninevites. And again, the Ninevites were not just people who disagreed with Jonah's politics or believed differently about LGBT issues. This was Assyria, a brutal regime in the ancient world. So if God can come along and say, not only those people, am I not going to destroy them, but I'm going to send you to them so that they might receive my mercy and grace, then what might he be asking us to do with those we consider our ideological opponents or enemies? Maybe you're saying, well, that's all well and good. I get that we're supposed to reach people for the gospel outside the church, but what about the things we're supposed to be opposed to, right? Because we're told to reject things and run away from certain things and protect our minds and hearts and condemn evil. And yes, you are exactly right. That is exactly right. We are to resist and reject false teachings. We are to expose and to reject false philosophies and protect our minds and hearts from becoming captive towards worldly ideologies. We are told to condemn and to resist evil actions and deeds in the world, among other things. All of that is true. But We have to be able to separate the philosophies and the actions from the people created in the image of God whom God loves and means to redeem. Because our fight is not against flesh and blood. It's against the spiritual principalities that spew out that lie, that that oppose God's truth in the world and keep people in darkness. And look, God does have enemies. Scripture tells us that one day he will judge his enemies. Scripture also tells us that you and I were those enemies before we came came to faith in Christ. Romans 5.10, For if while we were still enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, how much more, now that we are reconciled, 
shall we be saved by his life. I want you to take note of that word reconciled. We're going to come back to it in a minute. But let's remember this when we point out who might be the enemies of God out there. And let's remember one thing as well. Jesus doesn't need us to fight his enemies for him. He can handle that on his own, and he will one day. For one reason, because he knows who his enemies really are. And I think one day we might be surprised to see who really are Jesus' enemies in the end. But that's his business. Which is why when Jesus gave marching orders to his disciples, he didn't tell them, go out and eliminate all my enemies, and go out and eliminate all your enemies. Find all those people who disagree with you or even oppose my teaching and eliminate them and silence them. What did he say? Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you to the very end of the age. Here's some context that often gets missed in that commissioning. This great commission, what we know as the great commission that comes from Matthew chapter 28, what I just read there, is that when Jesus says all nations, this is very similar to what, he is say, what God said to Jonah all those hundreds of years before. Jesus is saying this to a group of Jewish men who are his disciples. And what he's saying is all nations, those Gentiles, those ones that you've been taught from a very young age to hate and despise as dogs, those are the ones I'm sending you out to. All nations. Those ones who look at you as second-class citizens, especially the Greeks and the Romans, who look at you as the ones who are more intelligent than you, who aren't given to all your silly religious festivals and beliefs, those are the ones that I'm telling you to go make disciples of. Those are the ones that I'm telling you to bring into the family of God, to be your brothers and sisters, to baptize them, and to follow them side by side as a new family, as a new tribe, as a new nation, as a new people together. So I'll ask you this question this morning. Who are your Ninevites? Who are those people that you really struggle to extend God's mercy and grace to? Who are the people that you think maybe are even beyond God's grace and mercy? Who are the people who you believe are your enemies or maybe believe are God's enemies? Who are maybe the people in this world that you think if those people didn't exist, this world would be a better place? I've heard Christians say all of those things recently. Who are your Ninevites? Because whoever came to mind, when you think about that question, is not your enemy, it is your mission field. Those are the exact people that we need to reach with the grace and mercy of God. And I believe those are the people that God is calling you in this moment to say, I'm going to love those people. I'm going to pray for those people. I'm going to sacrificially pick up my cross and show love to those folks and tell them the good news of Jesus Christ wherever it might take me and whatever it takes. And here's how to do this. To finish this morning, it's really basic. It's as basic as the mission statement of the church. We talk about loving God, loving one another, and loving the world. Let's talk about how these work through this prism. And even as I've been, again, accused of talking too much about peace in church, I just can't help myself. I'm going to talk about it more this morning as we close. Because I can't shake the idea that peace, that shalom in Scripture, 
is central to the scriptural story and to the redemption story of God. I mean, if you take away peace from the Bible, you take away creation, you take away the gospel, you take away new creation, you take away heaven. Without those things, there's not much left. And so peace in particular, I believe, is at the very heart of God and his redemptive purposes and that that peace of God actually leads us to loving God, loving one another, and loving the world. Let me tell you what I mean from what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, verses 16 through 21. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And all of this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us, and we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Notice here, Paul says, The ministry of reconciliation and the message of reconciliation is what has been given to us. And he talks about this idea of reconciliation on three levels, really three relational levels. He talks about Christians being reconciled to God through the peace of the cross that Jesus has given us. He talks about reconciliation between Christians together. And then he talks about reconciliation between God and the world. Now, Two are accomplished for us as believers through the cross of Christ. By our faith in the work of Jesus on the cross, two of those things are accomplished for us. And the third one, namely God reconciling the world through us as ambassadors, is an implication of this gospel of peace. And of course, ambassadors means, implies mission. Because ambassadors are ones who are sent out from a kingdom to represent a king and a kingdom to the world outside. So these go hand in hand together as the mission of God. And what we see is that the command of reconciliation, the ministry and the uh, message of reconciliation, looks like this in terms of peace. The peace of Jesus' cross leads us to love God. Right Through Jesus, God has reconciled us to himself, making peace with God through the cross. So we are people of the peace of the cross of Jesus Christ. Secondly, the peace of Jesus' church leads us to love one another. That peace that Jesus makes through us and God is something that's extended to us horizontally, so to speak, as well. As believers together. So we are a community of the peace of Jesus as well. And then finally, the peace of Jesus' mission leads us to love the world. So the implication then of this reconciliation, of this peace that's been given to us, is that we have this calling to be ambassadors of peace and reconciliation. So Jesus doesn't send out an army of soldiers bent on destroying the enemies of God. He sends out ambassadors of the king who invite people into the kingdom. And we are people of the cross. So what does that mean? It means that we are ambassadors of a king who laid down his life to reconcile the world to himself. It means just like Jesus, we pick up our crosses, die to this world, and display sacrificial love to one another and to those who don't know Jesus. It means that just like Jesus said to Pilate, my kingdom is not of this world or my followers would fight. 
Instead, we realize that our ultimate fight is not, against the pow- is not for power of the kingdoms of this world. It means that just like Jesus did on the cross, we forgive those who want to ridicule, insult, or even cancel us. Now, does that mean that we can't engage in the things of this world in terms of politics or the marketplace or social issues? No, not at all. I think we should be part of those issues and we are called to be part of those issues. But this is about our posture. This is about our identity. When we engage in the world, whatever God has called us into in the marketplace, in the, in, in the social world, in the social uh, structure of the world, in the political structure of the world, in those cases, what is our posture? Are we ambassadors? Or are we going out looking for a fight wherever we go? So by peace, I don't mean this. I want to be clear. I'm not saying that all worldviews and perspectives are true, and we just need to make peace with all of that. Believe it or not, I feel like I have to say that and be clear because I have also been accused of that, which is something that I've actually never said. In fact, I believe actually the exact opposite. I'm saying that the only message of peace, the only message of true hope, is the gospel of Jesus, which brings true peace and shalom. Every other philosophy or worldview or belief is at best an incomplete picture of that truth and in many cases might even be an outright falsehood if it contradicts that truth. So when it comes to being an ambassador, that's why this is so important because we are given the message of reconciliation. The message, not a message of reconciliation, but the message of reconciliation. Ray Ortland says this, You know, Paul didn't say that he had moments of reconciliation now and then. He said that God gave him the ministry of reconciliation. In other words, reconciliation is all I do. It's how I roll. What else is there? I don't know if Paul ever said it's how I roll, but we know what he means. And here's the point. In short, this is how we're going to roll at North Tier. As long as I am pastor here, this is how we're going to rule. We are ambassadors of our king, given the ministry and the message of reconciliation. Reconciliation is what we do. Which is why I engage with current events in the world from time to time when I teach. I know there are some of you who like that. There are some of you who tell me I shouldn't talk about those things because that's all you see all the time. But look, I feel like when we come here on Sunday morning, what we are doing is engaging with our world. If we are going to be ambassadors out in the world, I feel like part of this is us talking about what it means to be ambassadors in the real world that we live in. And so how do we form a biblical perspective of this? And I understand the weariness of the topic. I know many of you are just like, I see and I hear that all week long. But I'll hold to this again. Many of the times that you are hearing that, you're hearing these things from a slant. You're hearing it from a partisan media that is trying to make disciples of their ideologies. Conservative media is trying to make disciples of conservatism, conservatism and right-wingism. Progressive uh, media is trying to make disciples of progressive ideologies. In the church, we're in the business of making disciples of Jesus, and there's a difference there. And so when we talk about these issues, that's why we talk about them. This is what the Bible says about these issues. It doesn't mean that we're going to talk about every headline every Sunday, But I believe we're called to respond as the church of Jesus in the world. To really love Jesus and to display Jesus to the world, believing in that promise where he said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men to myself. We have to be close enough to the world so that they can see him lifted up. 
If we're here and behind closed doors and we're not engaging with the world in any way, in any meaningful way, they certainly won't see Jesus lifted up as, as well as if we were involved with those who are hurting, struggling, and looking for answers in a broken world. To close, speaking of headlines, this, I want to give a quick example of what I believe this looks like. You know, this past week, uh, when the Derek Chauvin verdict was handed down, and he was convicted of uh, second-degree murder, unintentional murder, I believe is the title, or the exact charge he was convicted of, um, I don't know what your reaction was. My reaction, I'm just going to share with you mine. It's my opinion, my perspective. I felt like justice was done. But that's not really the point. The point was, as I, as I saw, you know, videos of people from the African-American community, you might have seen this, is that what the African-American community was saying is that much more than that justice was done. You saw people weeping and hugging one another. And and what we saw, I believe, was a community of people who felt the weight of hundreds of years of what they and their families have experienced as injustice lifting for just a moment. For them, justice was personal in that moment. And now if you're sitting there saying racism and injustice is an invention of the left, you're missing the point. My point is that there are no matter what you believe about those issues, there are millions of human beings created in the image of God who say that they have been and continue to be unjustly treated in this world because of their skin color. And what I saw was a kind of pain and joy mixed in a moment that I was not capable of feeling because I have not been there. And you could throw all the numbers and stats around and claim this injustice thing is a false narrative, but the irony is, of course, you can use whatever stats you want to create whatever, whatever narrative you want. And that happens all the time. But what I saw is that there were people who were hurting in that moment. Joy and pain mixed with this burden that had been, that they had felt for years. And even though we might not experience that same pain, there are people who are struggling from their perspective to find justice and peace. And here's the calling, is that you and I can be there to represent the true justice and peace that they need in that moment. Regardless of whether or not you agree, in terms of how we got there, there are people who are in pain and hurting all over the place, and we have an opportunity to be ambassadors of reconciliation in the world. This is not a political thing. It's a gospel thing. I believe one day there will be a judgment for believers. I think Scripture tells us that. We'll stand before the throne one day, and I think one of the things that Jesus is going to ask us is, what did you do with my message and my ministry of reconciliation? And if our best answer is, well, the guy on the news told me that, you know, injustice and racism is an invention of certain people, and he showed me all these wonderful graphs and stats to back it up, Is that really what we want to go with in that moment? There are people who are hurting. There are people who need to know the peace of Jesus all around us. These are just some of the issues that are on the forefront right now. There are plenty of issues and plenty of opportunities and plenty of relationships to be ambassadors of the kingdom. We just have to be people who are willing to get out and actually be ambassadors. Ambassadors serve no great purpose while they're just sitting inside the kingdom. By nature, they are called out into the world. So, we are going to continue this discussion over the next several weeks throughout the summer. 
I don't believe that this is a one-time thing that we can talk about. I believe when you talk about vision and what it means to be in the ministry of reconciliation, have the message of reconciliation, it is a process that we need to continue to, to soak in and talk about. So next week, we're starting a new series called Being the Church from the book of Ephesians. It's going to carry us through the end of July. I know that we're doing this kind of in the summer, and so, you know, we have vacations, and we're in and out throughout the summer. That's why we have our live stream option, so uh, keep up to date with us there. But I want to encourage you, just today, there are a couple things, if you're wanting to get started into this, that you can start into even before we start next week. Wes mentioned a couple of them earlier. First, we are getting things going, to, uh, going again here at the church. It's, it's time to move. We've put a lot of things on pause over this past year, but it's time to get going. It's time to move. It's time to move forward, and it's time to go. Um, this last year, of course, did put a lot of things on pause, and I know that in a lot of ways, of course, we've got our online streaming option, but I would encourage you, and I'd appeal to, to those of you who are online with us, if you haven't made your way back in person, come back in person. We have a mask mandatory service right now, 9 o'clock. A lot of people are getting vaccinated, all those things. And so it were ha it's as safe as you can possibly be, I think, at this point. So we want to invite you to come back when you are ready. Secondly, if you were serving in a place in our church before COVID hit, and you gave away that service for a while, and you haven't picked it back up, it's now time to pick that back up. We're asking you to do that. Maybe it's the same position, maybe it's a different one, but we have a preschool and a children's ministry that is hurting for volunteers right now. And, if, and I don't know if you noticed this yet, but we have a lot of pregnant women walking around. I think COVID babies is like a real thing. It certainly is for us here at North. And we need to be able to provide an environment for our families to come in, to worship Jesus, to hear the gospel, kids, adults, and babies all the way through. And so we need your help in that. Second, if you want to get involved in something that is directly connected to the community outside our doors, as Wes mentioned earlier, we have VBS coming up in June, and we have it planned for this summer. As he also said, we have a limit placed on this because we don't have enough volunteers to expand beyond what our current limit is. It's not a space thing. It's not even a COVID thing. It's a we don't have enough volunteers to do this thing right now. And let me tell you this. 60% of the kids who are currently registered right now for VBS are families who are outside of our church. They're not a part of our church. And so we need volunteers to come in and allow us to be able to reach even more people in our community and teach them about Jesus during that entire week at VBS, to welcome them into our wonderful facilities and to enjoy some time that week. And so even if you've never worked at VBS, never worked with kids, we have a space for you. Krista has assured me that she will find a, a space for you. We just need you to be available and to be here for whenever you can be here. You don't have to be here, I don't know, maybe I'm not speaking correctly on this, correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think you have to be here even the whole week. We can use you wherever you can, you can, whenever you can be here and wherever you can serve. So again, this is just the start of a conversation that we're going to continue, what it means to be the church going forward. Will you pray with me as we close? Father, we don't have to tell you that this last year has been difficult in so many ways. Um, we've talked about it over and over. But Lord, I... I know that that is not preventing us from moving forward. 
We believe in this moment, Lord, that you are directing us forward in a way that is honoring and pleasing to you. We believe this morning that you are directing us forward in a way that is calling us out into the world to be ambassadors of your gospel, which reconciles sinners to God, which reconciles the church to one another, and which reconciles the world ultimately to you in a way that we are called to engage in. We thank you that we get to be a part of that wonderful ministry. And Lord, we know that this gospel message is the true message. It is in the many things that are going on in our world, the many ideas, the many theories that are coming out about how to solve the problems. Lord, as we look to the end of it, we realize that all of those things fall short of your truth. All of those things fall short of your grand redemptive plan to save it all and redeem it all for your glory. To put the broken things back together and to make them whole. To restore relationship through your Son with the world. And Father, to redeem it all for your eternal glory. I pray that that, would, that, that that right there would be the thing that matters more than anything for all of us in our hearts. We may disagree in different ways on how to engage that, but that your glory would be seen in every aspect of your creation for eternity. If we can get that right, Lord, I believe we're open to your call, whatever that call may be. So would you give us the faith to believe that this morning? Would you direct us according to wisdom by your spirit? We thank you that you love us. We thank you that part of the way that you love us is you call us into the mission that you have prepared for us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us for this week's message. North Bible Church is located in Scottsdale, Arizona and exists to equip all generations to love God, love one another, and love the world. For more information about North, please visit our website at northbiblechurch.com.